Welcome to CPAC Today in Politics. Coming up, Justin Trudeau is asked why the Liberal Party applied for the wage subsidy program. That's why we put in place a wage subsidy that is available to uh, small businesses, large businesses, nonprofits, and charities to be able to support people who might otherwise be laid off. Jagmeet Singh continues to press the Prime Minister for paid sick leave for all Canadian workers. We've seen that in this country, Canadians have to make an impossible choice when they're sick without paid sick leave. They have to choose between going to work and potentially risking infecting their co-workers or staying at home and not knowing if they can pay the bills. And Andrew Scheer demands the government unequivocally condemn China's recent attacks on the people of Hong Kong. When Russia invaded Ukraine, Canada, under a Conservative government, led the world in promoting a series of coordinated economic and political measures that punished and isolated the Putin regime and sent the clear message that violations of international law will not be tolerated. Will the Prime Minister condemn the actions of the PRC and propose a meaningful plan to support the people of Hong Kong? It's Tuesday, May 26th. I'm Mark Sutcliffe. Let's get right to the top political stories this morning. I'm joined by Susan Delacourt, columnist for the Toronto Star. Susan, thank you for being with us. Thanks for having me, Mark. Should the federal political parties have taken advantage of the wage subsidy program that they brought into effect? Is it is it fair for them as employers to tap into this benefit? Well, first of all, it's it's definitely and legally, technically possible. Um, they are entitled to it. I'm starting with all the things up front because uh, <laughs> I wrote about this yesterday and got a bit of backlash for it. Um, uh, from the political parties, they are eligible for it. They do have real live human beings working for them who are just as vulnerable as everybody else. Um, but um, first of all, they raise, we see it publicly, they raise millions of dollars uh, a year. They, uh, they spend tons of money on elections. One assumes that, especially in the case of the Conservatives, they are sitting on a war chest. In fact, uh, I think I know the Conservatives are sitting on a war chest in case there's an election. Um, And municipal governments, for example, are not eligible for this. They also um, fail to kind of tell us this as they were negotiating it for themselves in the House. There were no questions about it, for example in the House of Commons. So I, I, it is very, very bad optics. It is extremely bad optics. And I say that knowing, uh, and we all know some of the people who work for those political parties, nobody wants to see them laid off. Um, nobody wants to see people in distress. But it plays so much into the idea that Canadians have during this uh, pandemic, especially is we do not want politics as usual. We are not interested in partisan politics and the idea that politicians take care of themselves first and others later. I understand why they wanted to keep this kind of below the radar, but the answers yesterday were not good on this. Nobody is really fully explaining why political parties um, are, are essential at this point or why they couldn't go through the same hardship as as other people. But um, 
yeah, I don't think we've heard the end of it. Yeah. So let's just say. But is it fair to expect political parties to opt out of something they're entitled to under the rules uh, and, and to perhaps, because of that, uh, compromise their own employees and disadvantage them in some way? Yeah, and, you know, I think that's a fair point, and I wrote about this yesterday, too, saying we've got to be careful not to demonize these people. I'm I'm uh, somebody who actually believes in the political system, and I don't want to turn these people into demons, but I, I, I think that that it was it reminded me a lot of how the political parties got together when they were doing um, electoral reform legislation in the last parliament and agreed to keep their political party databases secret. And uh, that's been an ongoing rant of mine for uh, years now that, that those political party databases, but the, the, the weird thing about political parties is that they're not anything in particular in terms of accountability and transparency. Um, they're not really a business, but they kind of are because they, they raise money. They're not really a charity, but they do get donations and tax receivable donations. Um, and they're, they're, they are a public service. Uh, they have a place in our democracy, but they're not really all that either. So because they don't fall into any one of those places, they're not accountable. And uh, what I was writing about yesterday was I would like to see them bring back the subsidy for political parties. We used to pay the political parties per vote, and public funding was available to them. But what happens when you get public funding is you are also publicly accountable. And I think that we should, when this pandemic is over at least, I think this is a good starting point for that discussion, if anything good comes out of this, is let's talk about that public subsidy again. If we're going to pay parties uh, public money, let's see them be politically accountable. All right, let's turn to the issue of sick leave, uh, which the NDP leader Jagmeet Singh has been pressuring the government about. And it is tied into the discussions that are going on about what's going to happen with Parliament in the days ahead, what format it's going to take, that sort of thing. But uh, the issue itself, uh, what's at stake here? A a lot. Um, Now we're seeing, you know, this is where we're we're starting to hit the hard stuff. because um, so far, the provinces and the federal government have been walking in the same shoes, talking all the same time. There have been a few little skirmishes here and there. Um, but now we're getting into the long term. This is what uh, it definitely feels like. I'm sure that's why some of the crankiness in, in politics you're seeing is because we're in for the long haul, and we're now designing a world, at, at least for the... Uh, near, not so near future. And so Justin Trudeau um, and his government need to find a way to keep Parliament sitting, but in their minds, minimize the risk. The Conservatives are pushing for as much sittings and and, and as many many sittings as possible um, without getting into all the, the details about it. So two things are going on here. Uh, the prime minister needs one party to support uh, one big the bigger parties to support his idea of parliament sitting in some virtual way um, 
few times a week and then four times over the summer. Uh, Jagmeet Singh is willing to do that, the NDP leader, but he wanted uh, a negotiated uh, 10 days of sick leave per Canadian. He wants Canadians to be eligible for sick leave. And this was this is an idea that comes from another NDP uh, person, uh, Premier John Horgan in, in British Columbia. So all of that is coming together. Because Justin Trudeau has to worry about what is going on here, uh, in Parliament and needs support here. We're now going out, and he has to negotiate that with the provinces. This is not a slam dunk. Um, he, uh, it, it's going to be interesting to see whether he gets buy-in for this idea on sick leave from provinces that used to call themselves a resistance, you know, a Doug Ford, a Jason Kenney, a Blaine Higgs in New Brunswick. So, what all of this tells us is that we're we're talking now about um, things that are hard and don't have provincial unity, uh, things that could cost a lot. I haven't uh, I haven't looked at the estimate, but um, and how Parliament sits for the long haul too. This, this is uh, yeah, this is going to be a negotiation. Nobody should uh, should assume that all of this is a done deal because I, while a lot of people were hailing this idea of sick leave as um, putting a progressive stamp on Canada after the pandemic. Uh, I think there's a ways to go on it yet. All right, let's turn to the issue of China's treatment of Hong Kong. Andrew Scheer, the conservative leader, is demanding the government unequivocally condemn the recent clampdown in Hong Kong. Uh, The prime minister is defending what he has done so far, even though Scheer has suggested there's a policy of appeasement that's going on right now. Uh, Trudeau said, we have expressed in no uncertain terms our deep concern over the measures that were proposed by China in regard to Hong Kong. Uh, There was a statement that was issued by Canada, Britain, and Australia last week. Uh, What role does Canada have as this uh, drama plays out in Asia? Oh, this is so interesting because nothing I, I watched yesterday as, as Andrew Shear and Trudeau were going back and forth on this. And um, I, I believe that Andrew Shear thinks he's got Justin Trudeau in a hard place on this one, and he does, because so much is tied up with, with the China. We have two Canadians there. Um, uh we have the extradition case of Meng Wanzhou, and and uh, and that's you know uh, still going on as well. We have uh, an enormous uh, negotiations and 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 talks that with China over the World Health Organization and their role as ground zero in this pandemic. Um, so. There's Huawei there's as well, China. right? There's a headline and this morning Huawei. about whether or not Huawei will be blocked from Canada's 5G networks, and, and uh, the Prime Minister is still not saying which direction the government might go on that, so that's another element to this. Exactly. So all of them are all connected, and you can't talk about one without it affecting the other, as we have found out. Uh, the Prime Minister is trying to get two Canadians out of China. He is trying to steer somewhat through the extradition case. They need China's cooperation on vaccines and and continued sort of supply chains uh, uh, in the pandemic. And I think 
what the conservatives know is that Justin Trudeau, for all of those reasons, is going to be very careful around China, and they will interpret that and present that as being afraid of China. And we're starting to see polls coming out now, too, which is interesting. And some of the polls are showing that Canadians are, are absorbing this and not feeling good about China right now and um, and not feeling good about our relations with China and wanting to cut ourselves off from China. It's uh, that's So there is a polarization in Canada emerging around the China issue, and Shear is clearly on one side of it and trying to present Trudeau on the other one. It's the old, it's complicated, but um, I think this this is something we're going to be hearing for a lot in the weeks ahead. Do you think there is something Canada can do about this? Uh, obviously, international condemnation is is uh, it, it might be uh, rampant, but uh, uh, does that change China's behavior in any other way? Uh, it, it only might uh, inflame China farther, and uh, we've seen what China does when it's inflamed farther. Um, Canada has been uh, trying to make sure that it is speaking with one voice with other allies. That might be the way to do it. Yeah. Uh, certainly, Canada versus China is not going to be um, one thing. You know, Trump is 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 leading this as well from the states. But um, Canada navigating this with its allies is probably the best way to go. But I think um, maintaining as well, that we have interests there that are specific to us. All right, Susan, great to have your comments on all of this today. Thank you. Thanks, Mark. That's Susan Delacourt, columnist for the Toronto Star. We've established 129 assessment centres around the province. And next week, we'll release a detailed testing strategy. We'll be targeting various sectors and hotspots across the province. Now, here's what political columnists and commentators are writing about today. In an editorial, the Toronto Star writes, Ontario must step up with a new testing plan. The Star writes, Premier Doug Ford promises to deliver a plan for COVID-19 testing this week. This one, he says, will involve testing more people, those at work and those who may have the disease but aren't showing any symptoms. We look forward to that, but can't help but point out two obvious issues. First, The new plan will come out more than a week after the province started to emerge from lockdown, when the streets are a lot busier and the chances of a resurgence in the disease are rising. Second, how can the public have confidence in whatever new plan is unveiled this week when the province's efforts thus far on the testing front have fallen so short? In the Globe and Mail, Nav Persaud and Steve Morgan argue that COVID-19 has intensified our need for national pharmacare. They write, since the 1960s, five separate national commissions have recommended that medically necessary prescription drugs be included in Canada's universal public health insurance system. Some might question whether Canada can afford national pharmacare in the wake of the COVID-19 pandemic, as governments face massive deficits. But the case for such a program has never been stronger. Canada's current patchwork of private and public drug plans wastes billions of dollars each year. In an editorial, the Hamilton Spectator says, don't ignore the vaccines we already have. The Spectator writes, how ironic and how disturbing. At a time when most Canadians long for the arrival of an anti-COVID-19 vaccine, Canadian parents are increasingly avoiding the existing vaccines that guard against childhood illnesses. 
The problem isn't a sudden rise in the anti-vaxxer movement. The culprit is none other than COVID-19, and more specifically, the widespread fears of contracting it. And that leaves the nation's public health officials with yet another pressing issue to think about. Fewer child vaccinations today could mean more cases of measles, mumps, whooping cough, rubella, tetanus, and chickenpox in the future. Now, here's what's coming up on Canada's political agenda. As we've mentioned, the House of Commons continues another day of sitting today, and as CPAC's Martin Stringer reports, by the end of the day, we should know what we can expect in the coming weeks in terms of the sittings of the House at its special COVID-19 committee. Mark, MPs will continue their debate today on the government's motion to ramp up meetings of the House of Commons special COVID-19 committee to four hybrid sittings a week. Now, those sittings would involve MPs in the House of Commons linked by video link to MPs in their writings. Now, the motion also calls for four days of sittings of the full House of Commons over the summer, two in July and two in August. Conservatives have been opposing the government motion because they want to see sittings of the actual House of Commons and not just a continuation of what are technically just meetings of the special committee. Conservatives have consistently argued that the government is not being fully held to task by committee meetings and that they need the full powers of the House of Commons. But it seems inevitable that they will be outvoted as the Trudeau government has secured the support of the NDP, which will allow it to pass the motion. The New Democrats struck a deal in which we saw the Prime Minister yesterday commit to discussing with the provinces some form of new national paid sick leave plan. So a push will come to shove and we can expect some form of time allocation to be imposed today and the passage of the government motion most probably tonight. Thanks, Martin. Also today, the Prime Minister will hold his daily news conference with an update on the coronavirus situation and attend question period. Dominic LeBlanc will host a virtual event and make an announcement related to countering election interference. And this afternoon, the Senate Committee on National Finance will hear from Parliamentary Budget Officer Yves Giroux on the government's response to the COVID-19 pandemic and its economic consequences. They will also hear from Bank of Canada Governor Stephen Polos. And that's CPAC Today in Politics for Tuesday, May the 26th. Tune in to CPAC and CPAC.ca throughout the day today for continuing coverage of the coronavirus crisis. Our podcast returns tomorrow morning. Have a great day.